Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Got our first confirmed group winner this morning at the Euros with the Dutch going through top of Group C after another impressive performance against Austria. And it was an emotional, emotional outing in Copenhagen for Denmark, but we saw the quality of Belgium prevail too. We'll discuss all of that at length in this episode of The Gangapod and look ahead to the big one, England against Scotland at Wembley. Let's get right into it. Hi everyone, yeah, lots to get stuck into again today. The Euros, David Wiener with you once again, joined today by Jake Rosengarten, back on deck, back on deadline duties and back on the podcast. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Always a pleasure to be here. Um, interesting morning. Very, lots going on. Joining us, John Eloisi, again, back to back. Another big night. How are you, how are you going? What did you enjoy overnight? Well, I enjoyed all the football, but uh, I loved watching De Bruyne when he came on. You know, there was talk about him. Is he going to be ready? Is he going to play a part in this game? Um, and Martinez had to bring him on because they were struggling, Belgium, and what a difference he made. Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit shortly because that was, that was a huge occasion in Copenhagen, as I mentioned at the top. But we'll start with what was fresh on our minds this morning with the Netherlands winning 2-0 against Austria in Amsterdam. As I said, they've locked in top spot in Group C. They've locked in a path uh, playing a third-place side in the round of 16, which is another great advantage for them uh, early on in the tournament. Another confidence boost. Jake, Jake, as I mentioned, you were on deadline duty. You filed another 3 million words on the game. What was your impression of it? Three million, but they're never enough. I tell you, Dave. Um, my impression was it of it was well. I mean, the Netherlands are an interesting proposition for mine. Um, they looked really, really good on the ball at times. Swagger, sparkle, all those types of things. But I still think there are certain questions on their concentration. There are periods where they sort of drift in and out of a match. And I mean, I think Johnny, if if Austria had a little bit more firepower, I mean, Arnautovic was out, that might have made a little bit of a difference, but they had a little bit more going forward, perhaps it might have been a different game. Yeah, I think Austria, first of all, they started the game well, and then they gave away a silly penalty, but in the second half they got on top of uh, the Dutch and then and there were periods there where you thought, oh, mm. you know, the, the, the Netherlands are struggling a little bit. They're struggling to get out of their own half, and uh, but, you know, give credit to Austria that they, they played well and but they did lack that uh, cutting edge up front. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with the way he started Alaba as well. You know, as soon as Alaba pushed higher, pushed into midfield virtually, and he was getting on that left side, things started to happen. And, you know, we have to question mm. Franco Foda for, for starting him in the central, uh, well, in the central position of a three again, because he struggled defensively, first mm. of all, and he didn't really have an impact on the game going forward. I have to agree, Johnny. I mean, you really feel like he's almost wasted at the back, especially as that, that central player, because he can't even really get forward that freely. But I just wonder, where, like, what is his best position for this Austria team, especially because in the warm-up game against England, he sort of drifted a bit everywhere. He played a bit of number 10, he played on the wing. Where, where would you play him? I would play him uh, in the midfield. 
I'd I'd actually let him have that role in the midfield, a little bit more on the left, because if he does drift out wide, he can still get some good crosses in, like he did in the first game to set up Gregorovic. Um, Gregorovic, I I actually think that um, he's wasted at the back. Look, he plays for Bayern Munich at the back sometimes because he can play there because he's quick enough because he's uh, he's actually very aggressive in the way he defends. But I think with the, the Austrian side, they need more creativity. They need uh, you know a player that can make a difference a little bit higher up. And I think he's the one that can give them that. Well, he's also their talisman. You can't you can't inspire your teammates to take that game by the scruff of the neck if you've got the capacity to, which he does, when you need to be in a disciplined role there. So I do wonder to the extent the Dutch not get tested because of the quality of players they're playing against, all the mentality and, and the structure that they've been set up to play. And I think yeah, it was an interesting point you made, Jack. I think they've got bigger tests to come, but they've passed the two that they've been offered so far. We're going to be joined again today by a journalist from The Athletic who was, given a very close, who was keeping a very close eye on this contest, Greg O'Keefe. And this was his assessment of the Netherlands' performance. So an interesting game tonight at the Amsterdam Arena where Netherlands showed that they are a force to be reckoned with at Euro 2020 as they beat Austria 2-0 thanks to goals from Memphis Depay. And Denzel Dumfries moved into the knockout stages of a, of a tournament the first time since the World Cup in 2014. Um, I thought the Netherlands were, were very, very entertaining going forward on the front foot. It all came from a fantastic press that, when it when it worked, was quite ferocious and certainly Austria uh, couldn't deal with it. I think Frank de Boer can look back and be quite content. The only thing that might concern them is that, uh, you know, and, and don't forget de Boer was under pressure coming into this tournament. His side have, uh, have played, you know, a formation in 5-3-2 that got a bit of criticism against Ukraine. Uh, they stuck with it and this time they've won far more convincingly. But I think the only thing that he'll be concerned about is that lack of clinical finishing. This game should have been 4-0, really. Uh, Memphis Depay scored the penalty, uh, which was which was won by Dumfries, of course, in, in the first half. Um, but Depay, fantastic player. He missed two top chances, really, really good chances that should have wrapped up the game um, when, at one point... You know, he was he was played in when he shouldn't have been, really. Uh, and it's a little bit of profligacy from, from the um, from the Dutch attack. You want to see them a bit more confident, backing themselves. I think at the moment, the Italians and, and possibly the French have looked like they've got more about them in terms of contenders to win the championship. You wouldn't rule Holland out, though. Yeah, so, John, are you convinced by what you saw? Or are this is this a really good situation for the Dutch where they're building nicely and they're doing what they've had to done so far a little bit more conservative as well than they were against the Ukraine yeah I'm not totally convinced but they're beating who they need to beat who's in front of them it's a little bit like the Italians because the Italians haven't really been tested yet but uh, you know the Dutch the same they they were uh, a lot uh, more organized defensively today I think they're lit Brought them a lot more. His covering was great. He had to go off in the end. Let's hope it was only cramped because if the Dutch want to go very far, they need the lick at the back. And, you know, the De Jong, there was times there that he just ran the midfield. There was also uh, a them that gets forward really well. And, they, and they've got Dumfries that's getting into good goal-scoring positions. So, look, I, I do like the way they're playing. I think that uh, they're winning comfortably. Uh, they haven't been tested. We know that. But they can only beat who's there. On Dumfries as well, because he's obviously been sort of like the poster boy for this 
sort of Netherlands so far at the tournament. A couple of goals in a couple of games. He hadn't scored in 19 international appearances before this tournament. He had a few transfer links coming into this tournament. I think it was Everton, Napoli was sort of touted as potential destinations. I mean, he was linked to Bayern Munich after the first game. Where do you see him going? Well, that's a good question. I, I don't know what where will, uh, it suit him best. I think that you know, I think that Bayern Munich would suit him. The, the Dutch do well in Germany when they go there. Uh, Napoli depends on uh, you know how they want to play their football. I think he's really relished this uh, position because when when you're playing as a right wing back, you can start from a little bit deeper, but you can also, as soon as your uh, player wins the ball or have got possession, you can really go high and not worry mm. what's behind you. Don't have to worry about the risk of allowing your winger to to have space because when you're playing with a back four and you're playing as a fullback you're always a little bit wary of all right can I go now or can I do I have to stay so that's helped him and and plus when you're coming in so late it's very hard to pick up and we saw that in the first game against the Ukraine he got into really good goal scoring positions then he scored and in this game virtually on the counter-attack he was like a right winger and he was ready to join in that attack. And uh, he, he's, I think that he's uh, probably, at the moment, the Dutch, Dutch's best player um, because Depay still flattering to the sea. Or, uh, look, I'm not sure whether he's the one that's you know, playing up to expectations yet. Well, speaking of, we'll get to Depay in a moment, but speaking of Dumfries, let's get the latest transfer news on him from Gregor Keith from The Athletic. Dumfries, uh, who scored the second goal, was outstanding tonight um he he really did run the show down that flank austria could not live with him the psv player of course has got brighter things ahead has been linked with moves to premier league everton have shown an interest in him the director of football marcel brands no doubt worrying that uh, a player he has had his eye on for some time will now be uh, if not priced out certainly uh, the subject of interest from other Champions League clubs into Milan have been mentioned. He just flew like a steam train at the Austrians tonight. Um, he, like I say, he he was pretty unplayable at times. Um, a lot of of the Netherlands attack came down that right hand side. Yeah, he he's going to build. That's going to be a story building into the tournament because he's been so fabulous so far. We also mentioned Memphis as well. Positives for the Dutch have been that he scored, got off the board, looked dangerous in pocket, supplied, was involved in the second goal that got, got him behind. But there's a lot more to come from Memphis Depay, I think I would think, in this tournament. And they will need that because he's gonna if he's gonna they're gonna go to the next level, he has to go to the next level too. Yeah, well he almost had the dream start to this tournament. He basically nearly scored inside ninety seconds in the opening game. But I mean he sort of has you're absolutely right, Johnny. He hasn't really hit those heights. Obviously he's, he banged in the penalty this morning. But I wonder, I mean, obviously all the talk around Memphis Depay heading into this tournament is is Barcelona. And you look at him and you look at Barcelona's transfer activity in the recent past, guys like Usman Dembele and Antoine Griezmann and Philippe Coutinho is the big one. He obviously wouldn't come with the transfer fee because he's uh, available for free after leaving Lyon. But can you see him, like, are you excited by the prospect of him linking up with Lionel Messi? Can he be someone to really make a difference for Barcelona? Yeah, look, I think what would play into his favour a little bit is um, actually having Ronald Koeman there that knows him well, knows how to get the best out of him, knows what position to put him in that would suit him. And then when you're playing with Messi, how can Messi not make you look better? You know, Messi just drags a, a lot of people with him anyway, a lot of defenders, so it'll create more space for you. Look, with the Dutch national team, a lot is expected of him because he's had well, such a good season and 
two years at Lyon, they, they expect goals and he's, he's delivered really with the Dutch national team. So scoring the penalty will take pressure off him because now he's, he's scored already um, and I'm sure that he'll actually grow into the tournament. Well, I think it kind of helps him having... Well, first of all, they got three goals in the first game and he wasn't directly involved in any of them, so it shows they've got a few aspects to their play. Veghorst got absolutely smashed on the coverage in the UK for slipping him the pass just before half-time, but actually I look at that and go, Veghorst was in a great area, picked it up, and actually had the vision. We're going to praise De Bruyne in a minute for his vision, slipping it across the box, and Vegor's actually laid it up for him. But for me, I look at that and go, there are foils, so there's compliments to Depay, and Memphis Depay in the team too, which can only bode well. Uh, do you think as well... Wing Hoist, he got, uh, he got smashed by Shearer? Yeah. Yeah, I think Shearer smashed him because if it fell to Shearer, Shearer would have would blasted into the top corner. <laughs> but Wenghorst has to understand his ability. And I thought he did the right thing. I it was thought a great ball, a, too. Yeah, I thought it was a good ball. I think it, was, yeah, it bounced a little bit high for the pipe. But if you see, the, he's actually, when he's running in, he loses his footing a little bit in terms of the, he jumps just before he needs to. And, and that's what puts him off a little bit. So he's not able to get over the top of the ball. So yeah, that, that was it. You know, he didn't... It was great play by the Dutch. They, 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 they built up well. And then let's not take away from the counter-attacking goal. He held the ball up well because if you see the Pies' legs, the Pies, he's a strong boy, mm. held it up, was able to play in over the top, Marlin getting the ball, and they broke really well. And, and that's probably what they were looking to do in the second half. They go, you know what, come on to us, but we'll catch you out the other way. And they did on occasion. Another thing that was interesting, you mentioned that Memphis came deep and were actually playing that ball as well. That actually is part of the way that allows Vinaldum to actually advance beyond and actually be the la- the furthest man forward. And I, I think that's a little snapshot into something we don't see, well, we haven't seen from him, but that, that role that Memphis plays and where he floats sort of shows a little glimpse of where they'll want to be if they want to be the attacking cohesive best to come the business end. Yeah, I think so. Vinaldum's so important for him because he's one of those midfielders that can make late runs into the box. We've already seen at this tournament that uh, De Bruyne today with that late run that uh, you know Eden Hazard ended up playing him in. It was a great strike. Yesterday it was uh, Ramsey that, that, that scored that goal that, with that, that good forward run. Vinaldum's got the same ability. He's already scored in the first game. And and I think that that you know you're not just relying on Depay then to score you the goals. You've got other players now that can score goals, and that's because of the shape that they're playing. So Frank De Jake, how will he be assessed after the first two games? Is the pressure off, so to speak? Has he got a bit of time to to sort of continue to build things before the big round of sixteen game? Well, the pressure valve has certainly been released from where it was pre-tournament, where he was getting smashed for the shape that you were just talking about, Johnny, which has actually pretty much worked to perfection for them in the opening couple of games. Uh, the beauty of it is that with the Netherlands already through and already topping the group, he can actually rest a few players now uh, heading into their final group game against North Macedonia, which I believe is on Tuesday morning Australian time. But would you? Would you? I think for the Dutch, if they're looking to continue to build these combinations, confidence, solidity, it's not like it's not like they're coming to the tournament in Rolls-Royce form. No, that's right. I think you'll rest players that need it. And, and I'm talking about maybe a delict. Maybe you have to say, okay, he, he's not up to playing another 90 minutes and then backing up three or four days later or three or four days later. But others that you want to keep in form, like Dumfries and that, you don't want him to rest. If, he, if he's physically okay, let him go. Let him, let him keep his confidence. Let that, that rhythm keep on growing. There's certain players that physically, and this is where the data comes into play. This is where the sports scientists are, are very important. Say, okay, we know that we're top of the group. 
but we want to keep the momentum going. Who do we rest? Who who do you think is needs a rest and that, that we want to freshen them up because the round of 16 is when it starts, the serious business starts to come ahead. And, uh, and they'll be having those discussions, I think, as early as tonight. It also might be an opportunity for Depay to play himself into some form. Banging a few against North of Macedonia and then he's on the up heading into the uh, round of 16. Yeah, that's right. I think that he will play. I think that uh, Wengos might be the one that will actually rest and bring in De Jong because they're both big boys. Mm. So they're both a good foil for Depay. So I think that's what he might do. But again, you know, we're not uh, in the inner sanctum. We don't really know exactly how everyone's feeling. But uh, they'll be quietly confident of... uh, not only, of course, they're, they're top of the group, but um, also in the round of 16 because they're going to be playing a third-place team. That That's uh, a bit lucky for them. They'll just hope it's not Group F. That's exactly what I was going to say. If they get the Group of Death third place, good luck. Mind yeah. you, if it's Germany, well, I could be hungry. Well, you never know. <laughs> There's always hope, Dave. There's always hope. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it was Germany? Because we, we've been speaking about Italia 90 Italian night. Well, Adriano's been speaking a lot yeah, about Italian night. Adriano's been speaking about it a lot. And I'm pretty sure that was in the second round that uh, at the San Siro, the the famous one, this is before your time, Jake. Oh, I, well, I was negative five. Yeah, so I don't think God. you were born. I, I was probably about, uh, well, I was. I know I was. I was 16 years old and I remember it clearly. But um, no, 14. I can't even get my maths right. It's been too long, Dave. I've been up for 48 hours straight. So when they played each other, there was uh, Rijkaard and Muller and they had a bit of a scuffle and there's a bit of spitting going on. It wasn't very nice, but they were red cards and they, they both had to walk off together off the pitch. It was, uh, it was an iconic moment. That would be a huge round of 16 tie, but there's a lot of water under the bridge to go until then to see how that shapes up. You alluded a bit earlier, Jake, to that clash against North Macedonia. Look, they're on zero points. They went down 2-1 to the Ukraine overnight. Andriy Yarmolenko and Roman Yarenchuk with the two goals. They were back in it in the second half, North Macedonia. Alioski missed a penalty but converted it on the rebound. They came into the tournament knowing that you know, they were the underdogs. Anything they did get out of it would have been a bonus and they have absolutely been a credit to themselves with the way they've played. But as a result of this, it makes the group tantalisingly poised because Austria, they do have the three points in the bag. Ukraine have three points in the bag. And that's the final matchup now that we have in the next stage to get through the next stage, sorry, in match day three on Tuesday at 2am. So where do you feel that matchup is set? Austria against Ukraine based on what we've seen so far. Is there going to be a board draw? Well, it's mouth-watering in terms of the uh, the stakes. But actually, Johnny, I don't think it will be a board draw, just purely because of the way when you look at you the finish stakes. Second. Firstly, for the managers, as much yep. as anything else. Um, I was reading, I read a match report from uh, the Ukrainian press. I don't do a lot of reading in the Ukrainian <laughs> press, but uh, this morning we got on there for a reaction. I hope they translated it. Oh, yeah. Google Google's <laughs> a wonder, Johnny. It gets the job done. Um, but basically, the opening line of this match report about the Ukraine game was basically talking about the future of the legendary Andriy Shevchenko and whether he will basically have a job after Euro 2020 if they don't get out of this group. That's a bit premature. Yeah, I look, I think he's done a tremendous job. But this that's the, the, the nature of the beast yeah. over there. With, with the coaches, it's actually anywhere with coaches because they get criticised if they don't play well. They get criticised if they don't win. Um, and, you know, it will be the same for Franco Foto. You know, he's much maligned in yeah. Austria. Yeah. A, a lot of people don't like the way he's setting up his teams. A lot of people don't like that Alaba's playing at the back mm. where he's playing. Um, but I, I think both teams will get through the group. But I think that it will be nice to finish second in that group because then you have a probably an easier run through if you get through. A snore draw. I don't... See, I'm not, I can see that that's what Foda probably would want it to be. Mm. Um, but... 
yeah, I don't, I don't know that they can rely on the fact that they that they'll shut the Ukraine out. Yeah, they got some weapons. The Ukraine, really, really good weapons. I mean, so for the first time in history, it's never happened before. Yaramchuk and Yarmolenko both score in the opening two games. No other duo has ever done that for the same nation at a Euros. Ever. I'm really impressed with Yaramchuk. I, I like his forward runs. He's uh, he's one that he works hard. He, he he keeps on making those runs, even when he's not getting the ball. He keeps on making it, and he scored in the first two games. He's uh, he's he's feeling confident. Yamalenko, who was struggling just mm. before the tournament, that last friendly game. This is where friendly games do come into play. Not so much if you win or lose. It's just give that individual that bit of confidence. He scored. Weight off his shoulders, he went into the tournament, and now he's he's actually doing well. He's scored two goals it, already. It's also interesting that he's one of these characters, and these nations have a lot of these characters who might have been had difficult times at their club level, but when they go to represent their nation, not only are they key, indispensable to the first eleven, but they go another year. And now he's someone that's probably put himself in the shop window. You would think, um, particularly if he does want to get some more game time in the Premier League. Absolutely. Obviously, we know that Yarmolenko hasn't been playing a lot of football for West Ham in the last uh, few years, especially he's had a couple of injuries here and there. But he uh, reports basically suggest that West Ham are, are happy to sell him. And the links prior to this tournament, even the last few days, have been Galatasaray. I mean, watching him play in this tournament, Johnny, and the way that he's gone about it in the last couple of games and just the form that he's in. I mean, would Yarmolenko be someone who could potentially, I mean, I look at it and I think, is he maybe someone that would be a target for, for some sort of a lower tier Premier League sides or promoted teams that, would he be the perfect signing for one of those sides? I think so. I think that he's got that quality that uh, you want, you know, that someone that can uh, score a goal out of nothing. And we saw that against the Dutch, that, uh, you know, you give him the ball 1v1 situation, he's able to shoot from a distance, he's able to take the ball past plays. He's a big boy, but he's also quite quick and, and technically he's very good. Uh, and, and he's someone that the lower sides, you know, that they could use because they're not always going to dominate games. They're not always going to create the number of chances they need to score goals. So you, you need someone that's got that, that bit of individual brilliance, and, and he has got that. So, you know, I'm sure he, he will get a move, and I'm sure wherever he goes, he'll want to play regular football. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Group C, Netherlands are on top. Delicately ploys with Austria and Ukraine in the middle. Locked on three points, but North Macedonia, they'll be going out to try and spoil the party for the Dutch and ruin their uh, their record and get a point before they exit the tournament. We know that that would be an absolute party for them. They would absolutely love that. How good was the footage this morning with Dave Davidovich? Should we call Dave now? Yeah, that would How be, good would that, no, that would no, be very no, nice. I, I think Dave will be asleep, <laughs> yeah. and, and if he's not asleep, he wouldn't be very... Uh, I, I could say he would be drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a medical <laughs> opinion. <laughs> After the footage I saw, he had a few beers, and I'm sure he had a few scotches, as uh, they... Well, not only the, the Macedonians probably like, but also the Croatians like a few scotches. So, And I'm sure at that time of the night, they had a few drinks. If you had to think what he sunk on air, oh, heaven thinks what he would have drunk uh, afterwards. So, Dave... 
maybe we'll get you on the line in the next couple of days. I'm sure you're listening to this later on the day. And, and yes, I won't call you now, I promise. Um, earlier in the night, we saw Denmark against Belgium. Johnny, this was a game. This was great. Before we get to the game, let's talk about the scenes. We have to touch on that because this is, this is football. Proud of our sport. Proud of the way everything played out here, particularly in the 10th minute as well. Um, add to that the home crowd there again. Really stirring stuff. Everything about it was emotional. Everything, even sitting next to Thomas Sorensen, that uh, we all know that when uh, Ericsson did go down, the, the emotions came out, and you know he feared the worst. And now everyone's you know happy that he's he's alive and and doing well. And uh, you saw today before the game, just the atmosphere in the in the stadium. The Belgium, uh, I think, it was the Tongan that gave. Uh, I can't remember who we gave it to, Kia, the, the, the shirt yeah, I believe before, the so, game, yeah. before the game, and uh, with a sign with Ericsson on the back, and then at the 10th minute. So this is the 10th minute of a game, of a Euro, important tournament. You, Everyone wants to win. Belgium are, are, are probably one of the favourites, number one team in the world. They're 1-0 down, 10th minute, they have the ball, they pass the ball out. No problem because it's out of respect, mm. and that, and that was quality, and it, I really enjoyed it. And, and and then after the game, Lukaku embracing the the boss of Denmark, you know, and and having a, a chat with him about the whole situation and how they're feeling. But the performance from Denmark, oh, they were brilliant. Mm. I I felt really sorry for them that they came out of that game with nothing because they dominated that first half. They completely dominated that midfield. They were on top of Belgium. Belgium were lost. Mm. They, didn't, they didn't know how to get out of that situation. And then, like I said earlier, you have to give credit mm. to Roberto Martinez because they were under the pump. When you're under the pump like that, it's hard to flick the switch and, and get out of it. And it's hard to change something. He did change it with one of the best yeah. players in the world. I want to go in detail on, on how we change it. But before we do, you mentioned that you feel sorry for Denmark at the moment. I really hope, and I know, you know, obviously they've got a game against Russia and there'll be a lot of people that want, you know, a lot of Russian supporters wanting Russia to get the points there. But given everything that's happened, I, I can't fathom Denmark not being in the next phase. Oh, it must be up there with the, like, if it happens, one of the most ridiculous, not ridiculous, but unlucky and just unfair things that we've seen at a major tournament. I want to throw a stat at you, Johnny. So three times in this Euros, a team has had 20 or more shots in a game. Two of them have been Denmark. They've scored one goal and taken no points. Yeah, it's frightening. And that, and that was the difference today. The, the quality in the final third was the difference. Braithwaite, who's a good attacking player, hasn't got the same quality as a De Bruyne or a Lukaku. And, uh, and that, that, what, that you notice that. And you notice that in the second half that uh, when Belgium got given those chances, half chances, or, or whatever you want to call it, they made it count. Whereas Denmark, all the great play from the you know the back third, the middle third, into the front third, that final finish or that final ball let them down. You know, Braithwaite was unlucky, hit the crossbar. The crossbar. Uh, Poulsen finished off nicely right at the start. But uh, the way they played, they deserved a lot more out of that game. Statistically, just, just to back you up there, Johnny, statistically, Denmark had 21 shots for five on target. Belgium had six for five on target. Yeah, that's the difference. That's that is the major difference, and and that's why Belgium are, are thought of being one of the favourites. That's why they're number one in the world. The only thing that we're still questioning, and we questioned before the tournament, is their defence going to hold up? And today, they just held up. Uh, 
Roberto Martinez is much maligned, mainly because of what he, his club record in recent years before he went into the Belgium job, and the fact that you have just the you have the keys to the golden generation. Well, he had to unlock the treasure case because he had them on the bench, Kevin De Bruyne, bring back in, and Hazard bring back in as they build their fitness. What did he do in the second half? Because he actually had to stem the tide of that emotion, and tactically, he actually did. So one of their best players and most dangerous players is Lukaku. And in the first half, he was playing centrally. And on either side, you had Mertens and you had Carrasco. But uh, every time the ball went up to Lukaku, because they were playing three at the back, uh, the Danes, they were able to double up on him. So they were able to, one player actually really go in tight, anticipate the ball, and the other player just give that bit of cover. So he was always 2v1, sometimes even 3v1. Well, what they did in the second half, De Bruyne comes in and they put him central. So they put him as a nine, false nine, you can say. And they put Lukaku on the right and go, let's uh, isolate him with Westergaard. Let's, let's leave him out there because if he gets the ball and he starts to face up, they're in trouble. And, and you saw it on the goal. Denmark were attacking. Belgium sort of allowed De Bruyne and Lukaku to stay up top. But as soon as they win the ball, the first thought is, we need to hit our best players. First time ball from Munier up to De Bruyne. De Bruyne knows that Lukaku's by himself, plays a quick ball, and then the rest is history because then the quality comes into play, and that's the quality. Credit has to go to Martinez because he switched it up. He could have actually put De Bruyne, you know, in the midfield. He could have actually, because they were getting dominated in the midfield. But what he did, he put him up top, knowing De Bruyne is smart enough to go, all right, I know when to outnumber you guys in the midfield. I know when to be higher to engage, and it, it was great. And Romelu Lukaku, you know, he might be many people's tip for the golden boot, but you can influence a game as the big striker in so many different ways, and he absolutely did that today by playing his coach's plan to perfection and being that link, dangerous, teeing the ball up, laying it on the platform for De Bruyne. And interestingly, we wax lyrical on the headline makers, but he also brought Axel Witzel on. So all of a sudden, Belgium from game one to game two have literally gone, oh yeah, Keys to the golden generation. Witzel, you, you, you hold the fort. Kevin, De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, fill your boots. Yeah, and that was the thing I was going to bring up next, actually. Axel Witzel, arguably just as important as a, as, a, as a Lukaku or a De Bruyne within his side, Johnny. For you, the role that he plays, who, who is more important? Kevin De Bruyne or Axel Witzel to this, to this Belgium team? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is still more important because he's a, he's a match winner. Uh, he only needs a half a chance to make something count. But you're right, the balance that Axel Witzel gives that team is important because then Dunkirk, good player, but he's not at that quality. And then what happens, it frees up Tielemans a little bit. Tielemans then able to join in a little bit higher. And uh, and I think that's the balance that they need because, you know, they need their best players in the side. Axel Witzel is very important. But De Bruyne, he makes that team tick. There's no doubt about it. If, if you haven't got him in the side, they might go close to winning it. With him in the side, they've got a big chance. Mm. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about uh, N'Golo Kante being a, a Ballon d'Or candidate because of Chelsea winning the Champions League. Watching De Bruyne come on today and thinking, if he goes, if he carries Belgium, and I say carry because they've got a lot of players, but if he performs like that every single game and they get to the business end, he's going to have a because he's the best. He he's the best player on the planet when he's like that. That, that, that first goal. Everyone thought he was going to shoot. I was out of my seat thinking he's going to shoot. It's a goal because he's going to score. But you see the defenders throw their bodies. So he's got a, a little gap yeah. to get between. So what he does, instead of shooting and just being, you know, like a normal striker would do, he does what 
not many players will do. Take a touch, let them dive, then have the composure to calm down and, and just play a lovely ball across the goal where he knows there's two free plays. Not many players can do that. Not many players can make time stand still like that. That's what the ability just to, it's almost meme quality where everyone around you is just watching and on the turf looking up and there you go. The game has gone on and he's played you, he's played it right past you. So he does that with, you know, the the pass with his right foot and then the goal with the Hazard brothers who would have practiced this in the backyard, I'm sure. Be like Ross Ross and John? Yeah, but we probably kicked each other a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) But they're the one touch play and they draw the Danish defence in and probably like they did in their neighbourhood, the Bruyne used to would run in from the the, uh, the opposite street and they'll just lay the ball across to him. But that goal, the, the way he strikes the ball, the, when the ball's coming across like it does like that, it is a hard technique. You have to get it spot on. Most people that hit it will either shank it or they'll spray it that way. He connects it so well. I thought Michael was you know at fault because it beat him at the near post, but it was just too powerful. Mm. He, 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 he had to generate all that power, and he did lovely technique. Well, it's so it's so perfect that Schmeichel wasn't even in a position to get his footwork to get across the near post. Because Schwartz sort of said it's such a good strike that almost Schmeichel's not even to blame. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I actually thought that Schwartz, after seeing the footage, at, at the first bit of footage I saw, I go, Schmeichel's at fault. Yeah. The second bit of footage I start to go, oh, maybe not. And then I got a little bit of the camera angle up above. I think he's in a good position. He comes across, he's set, he's ready for it. He knows if he does hit it here, he'll be get be able to get down to it. He could only dive when the ball was in the back yeah. of the net. Yeah. He, he yeah. was hit that hard. Well, the fixture guards must have known that this group was going to go down to the wire because in the great time of 5am on Tuesday morning, Russia play Denmark. They've still got the home support. So it's in Copenhagen, not in St. Petersburg, which is a huge advantage. Advantage. Russia have been a mixed bag so far this tournament. I think there'll be a lot of people hoping that Denmark can get through, do it for Christian Eriksen and get what their intensity for the large part has deserved because we know on paper they've got a quality side. So before then though, there's a lot to look forward to. It's, an, it's a huge Friday night on Optus Sport. The entree is Sweden and Slovakia. They've got a lot to play for. They're not the entertainers, but they've got a lot to play for. Well, if Sweden win that, then they're all of a sudden... But if Slovakia win, they're through. Yeah. A lot to play for. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's uh, incredible. No, everyone was riding off Slovakia before the tournament. They, they, they got that that fortunate win because of Poland having the player sent off, and uh, and all of a sudden they could be in the box seat to get through the group. I'd actually like to point out, Johnny, Slovakia. As much as people were riding them off, actually got through the round of sixteen in in twenty sixteen. Yeah, and they drew with England in their in their last game on that point. So they're they're not a terrible team. No, no, they're they're a good <laughs> side. They've still got quality players in Hamsik, and uh, so I, I actually think. It's not going to be easy in this game here. I think that uh, Sweden, um, I believe they'll have enough quality to, to get through, though. It, it, it puts a bit of pressure on Spain. It just makes sure that Spain are always on their toes going through because, uh, you know, they're still on that point. And, and if Sweden have that point in the locker, oh, it sets it up to actually put a fair bit of pressure on Luis Enrique's side to, to match them when they, when they hit out later on. There's a, there's a bit of time. I think they only play on Sunday, actually, so there's a bit of time for them to, to gather their thoughts there. Croatia, Czech Republic, 2 a.m., England, Scotland. Okay, that's the one. We've got a bit to look forward to overnight. Quick word on Croatia, Czech Republic. Croatia have a fair bit to prove, actually, against a side that were outstanding in enemy territory in Hampton Park and Czech Republic. Croatia, this is make or break for them. 100%. I mean, it's not like they were 
terrible against England by any stretch. I personally would like to see them get on the front foot a bit more. I'd like to see Nikola Vlasic, who came off the bench in about the 70th minute against England, who people may remember had a bit of a stint at Everton a few years back, but he's since gone off to Russia and made a bit of a name for himself. Um, he's a good player. Number 10 can, can make a bit of a difference, I think. Yeah, I, look, I, I still think Croatia will be able to get the result that they need. Um it was a difficult game for them. They're playing at Wembley, mm. you know, and, and all of a sudden there's crowd. A lot of them haven't played in front of a crowd for a while, um, you know, against a good England side. I think that uh, they've got the quality, the experience to actually get through against the Czech Republic, even though the Czech Republic had a great result last game. Interesting that uh, Luka Modric did train by himself, but he will be fit to play all reports. Uh, but some other reports that Marcelo Brozovic might be left out of the 11, which is interesting to try and get another attacking player up, up top. So it'll be interesting to see how they yeah. line that up. I actually thought that it worked better when he was out. Brozovic is a great player. We know how good he is. But I think Modric was wasted so high. And then, you know, when he dropped back deep, because he was sort of playing up front as a number 10 just behind Rebic, that when he dropped deep, then Rebic was left alone. And so I think that if you play uh, Modric in that sort of eight position that he can join both, I, I think they'll be better suited mm. for that. So we'll see what happens there. Now, of course, at Wembley, I mean, what a matchup this is. First of all, I mean, we, we talk about fire and brimstone. We talk about what passion it's going to be. We talk about it being a derby. England almost have to try and take the fizz out of that, don't they? Because if they get down to pure football tactical match, they surely will have the, the better of the Scots. Oh, 1v1, you'd think in pretty much every department England have the better side, except for left back, where Scotland is surprisingly stacked with Tierney and Robertson. But everywhere else, England are on top. And if England can just control those emotions and just play a football game and Southgate can get them playing as their game, Johnny, surely, surely it's England all the way, right? Not straightforward. These games are never straightforward. It's a, it's a derby. It's a local derby. It, you know, the Scots uh, will talk about that they're underdogs. They'll want to prove that they're uh, a, a great footballing nation, which they are. But, um, you know, no one's expecting them to win. You saw the atmosphere, the, the, the fans getting off the train, mm. you know, the, today, ready from Scotland coming down, you know, singing. It means a lot to them. It means so much. The history between the two countries and uh, and football's one of them. And, and I do recall when I think I mentioned it uh, one time before about Gary McAllister, mm. you know, what it meant to him, you know, how he felt when he missed that penalty, you know, the stick that he had after, the, the, the criticism that he got, the, the hatred that he copped from his own supporters. So, you know, it's a big thing. So you could either be a, a hero or you could be a villain. So it's a big game for both both sides. Big game. 23,000 will be at Wembley in the first time they've met at a major tournament in 25 years, of course. And I say take the passion out, not because Scotland aren't going to be competitive, but because of that exact reason. If it becomes a ding-dong affair, then you almost fancy the underdog to put a heck of a lot of pressure on the highly fancied side, who could have Harry Maguire back into the 11. Would you guys foresee any other changes unforced um, by Gareth Southgate in this 11, or, or go with what worked uh, last time? I think it all depends on fitness. I don't think Southgate would really want to be disrupting the rhythm that they that they would have created in that game against Croatia. I think Jordan Henderson is an interesting one. Does he throw Jordan Henderson in to throw get a bit of that control? Obviously, Jordan Henderson is such a such a leader for that Liverpool side. I don't think he's ready just yet. I don't think he's ready just yet, but I think he is in contention. Whereas Maguire is a genuine possibility of yeah. starting. Look, it's a it's a difficult decision for Gareth Southgate because do you risk Maguire or do you win this game and then the third game, you know that you're top of the group. Pretty much you probably will be top of the group depending on the Czech Republic's result. 
and then you play him then and you and you get match rhythm into him then. Uh, with Henderson, yeah, I, I wouldn't start him. I thought their midfield was sensational last game. Declan Rice, we saw Calvin Phillips, how good he was. You know, then you've got uh, Mason Mount. The, the three in the midfield, that's where the game will be won. Then you've got the quality up the top in the front third. But, you know, the midfield, McGinn and McTominay have, have got a, a handful in there. So I wouldn't I wouldn't change it too much. I would still play Mings at the back if that was up to me. But, you know, Maguire, obviously their leader, he needs him if they want to go really deep into the tournament to be physically well with match rhythm. Is this the time to do it? Maybe the intensity of the game, the, the, the emotion of the game might be a bit too much for your first game back. We also saw Sterling stand up in that first game in that front three, obviously, alongside Foden and Kane. So many weapons for England there. Is this a type of occasion to throw in someone like a Jack Grealish or a, or a Marcus Rashford or a Jaden Sancho? Geez, there's so many of them. Yeah, there's so many. I, I think you keep those three up top at the moment. And then when you need to change a game, when you need to change gear, you can. You know, you, you mentioned all those players, Rashford, Grealish, um, you know, Sancho. You, you can do it. And, and I'm sure there will become a time in the tournament that they're needed and called upon a little bit more. The only other one is Trippier. Do you keep him at left back or do you put another left footer there? You know, there was a tactical reason why he had him at left back. Maybe it's time that, he, you know, he, he see well, he goes with Shaw or Chilwell. You know, they're, they're decisions that he has to make. But he's got, you know, they're, they're, they're tough decisions. But they're good ones. So yeah. much quality. Yeah. Good position to be in. And he got it right in game one. We will see what happens in game two. Gents, that's all we've got time for. Great chatting with you again to end another marathon of football. But how lucky are we as we speak? There's Copa America going on on Optus Sport. By the time you listen to this, all the highlights and the, the, the reports will be up on the Optus Sport app. You can enjoy that. Brazil, of course, in action as well. And, well, we'll be back for the big one on Saturday morning our time. What a great time. 5 a.m. on Saturday. Start your day with England against Scotland. Great stuff. Jake, John, pleasure as always. Can't wait for tonight, tomorrow. I'm in tomorrow morning, so I can't wait for that. Days are too far gone, John. We're (laughs) we're cooked. We're cooked and we're loving it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Thanks, everyone, for having a listen today. Hope you're enjoying the Mesh Day editions of the Gagan Pod throughout the Euros. We'll do it all again tomorrow. And until then, enjoy your football. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.